Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Thanks, guys. Thanks, uh, Andre and the band. Um, yeah, it was, it was really special. And just, by the way, um, when you hear what I'm, what I'm going to preach about, I'm, I'm going to continue or actually complete the um, series that I was doing on overcoming temptation. But when you hear what I preach, just bear in mind that the band didn't know what I was going to preach about, and the people who brought the words didn't know what I was going to preach about. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit obviously knew, and it was just so wonderful for me to stand here in, during the worship, and when the words came, and just receive confirmation from God that, um, yes, that is, that is what's on His heart. That is, that is what He's saying to us. And, and that's special. You know, we, we sometimes forget how special it is that God speaks to us. Um, it's, it's, it's really, you know, our God is real. And He speaks. He's not silent. He's not quiet. He's not ignoring us. He's not passive-aggressive, although God knows we give Him enough reason to be. <laughs> but He's not... He's, he's not yeah, like we say in Afrikaans, he hasn't got still staper. He's not, he's not um, throwing us a flat ignore or being quiet, you know, uh, giving us the silent treatment. Um, so, yeah, I just, I just want to encourage you. Let's, let's really hear what God has to say to us because he is speaking to us. He is speaking to us. And let's make sure that, um, that, that we hear him. Um, I just want to get my... Countdown going. There we go. So, <clears throat> uh, the, the last couple of weeks, actually, I've been speaking about about temptation, and and all of us experience temptation every day. Okay. Most of us, probably all of us, have experienced temptation this morning. Okay. I I, I was reminded this past week or so of the scripture that says. There's a, in Ecclesiastes, there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. <laughs> okay, so, so this, whoever wrote Ecclesiastes probably knew about, you know, COVID and lockdown and stuff like that because it's a time to refrain from embracing. But most of us were probably tempted <laughs> to embrace, <laughs> even in a time, you know, where we should, be, we should refrain from embracing. We, we, we all get tempted every day in many different ways. Um. And all of us can deal with temptation better. And for all of us, our lives, the quality of our lives will improve remarkably if we deal with temptation better. And we usually have two ways of dealing with temptation. And one of the things I want to share with you this morning is that neither of those two ways work. <laughs> okay? And God has a... Um, a better way of dealing with temptation. And, and throughout the worship and the words already, he's been sharing it with us. So uh, let's, let's, let's look at that. Um, firstly, I want to tell you why giving in to temptation doesn't work. Then I want to tell you why resisting temptation doesn't work. And this is where all the parents go, no, and they close their kids' ears. No, no don't tell them. <laughs> but, but seriously, uh, I'm joking about it, but, but seriously, Resisting temptation doesn't work either. And then I'm going to tell you what, what I believe the Word says, what God says does work. 
So uh, let me read for us from our text that we've been dealing with the last couple of weeks in, in James chapter 4, and then I'll pray for us. It says in James 4 from verse 1 to 10, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, and, and we saw in, in previous sessions that's talking about hedonistic passions, hedonistic pleasures or desires, that your passions are at war within you, you desire, and remember the word there was over-desire, um, idolatrous desire, you, you over and do not have, so you murder, you covet and, uh, and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel, you do not have because you do not ask, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly that, uh, to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people, I mean, James is just writing to a congregation of men and women, but literally what he says is, you adulteresses. It's, it's, it's in the feminine, and it's, 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 it's to all of, all, of, um, uh, all of them. And he says, you, you, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes or um, chooses to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose... It is for, uh, to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us. Or maybe more accurately, the spirit he has made to dwell in us yearns jealously. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Father, we thank You for Your Word, Lord, that is living and powerful, Lord, and Lord, that gives life to us. And we, we just open up our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning, Lord. It's a privilege, Lord, for, for us to hear you speaking to us, Lord. And, and, and we, just, we just open up our hearts and say, speak, Lord. We are listening. Lord, we want to be like, like little, little teenage Mary, Lord, who said, let it be unto me as, uh, let it be unto your servant according to your word. And, and that is our prayer as well. Let it be unto us according to your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, firstly, I want to talk about why giving in to temptation doesn't work. Okay? So, one of our most common ways of dealing with temptation is by giving in to it. We feel the temptation, we give in to it, and we do the thing that we are tempted to do. But the problem is that our, our desires, our passions, the things that we are tempted with, they actually feed on our needs. Um, they, they actually feed our needs. They, 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 those desires, can, they actually become stronger when you give in to the temptation. They are not actually fulfilled. Just think about... Um, you know, we, we, we were singing all who are thirsty, you know, come to the fountain. And, and, and so often we think that when we come and we give in to a temptation and, and we, 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 we take that thing that we are tempted, or do that thing that we are tempted to do, 
that that'll fulfill us. And it's, it, it's, it's the reality that we are all thirsty, like Andrew was saying. We're all thirsty. But then, you know, um, you know I, I, I remember this South African movie, you know, where, where this guy constantly, you know, every now and then, you know, they were doing this and they were telling the story and then we were doing that and we were do, doing this and doing that and then we got thirsty. And, and obviously he was talking about, you know, beer or, or alcohol and, and, and they started drinking. But, but the irony is when you are thirsty and you drink alcohol, it actually makes you more thirsty. And, and that is so often how it is. We are thirsty, but so often we come and we drink the beer and we drink the, you know, whatever, you know, alcohol that we think will, you know, is a good response that we are tempted to, to make use of in response to, our, to the temptation, to the thirst, and it just makes us more thirsty. It doesn't actually quench our thirst. Um, just two examples of people dealing with temptation by giving into it. One ancient, one modern. King David, thousand odd years before Christ, he was tempted walking around on the roof of, of his castle and um, he saw a young lady bathing on the roof because that's what they did, you know, if you wanted some privacy. The, the houses were small, so, you know, you bathed on the roof. So the idea was that most people are like down below so they can't see you, but... King David was up there on the roof of his castle, so he had a bird's eye view. And he was tempted, and he, f- and he gave in to that temptation. But just look at the results of him giving in to the temptation. Number one, he suffered. He suffered. He, he, did, he gave in to the temptation, and then he hid the fact that he'd given in to the temptation. So much so, I mean, it's, it's not like, you know... I mean, we think of King David as this amazing man of God, and, and in many way, ways he was, but it's not like he came out and said, oh, you know, this, I've committed this sin, you know. And the sin was adultery of Bathsheba and the assassination of her husband, murder. I mean, this is like serious sin that he gave into, okay? Um, he only came out with it when he was confronted by the prophet Nathan. Remember that, that little parable that Nathan told him? Um, and then said, you are that man. And only then, when, when it came out. So, the first thing is, God knows. God knows. I mean, if he thought he could hide it, we sometimes think we can hide it. But God knows. Okay? And God tell, told him, you are the man. Okay? I am the man. Tell yourself, I am the man. I am the woman. <laughs> God knows that. Okay? Secondly, uh, like I said, David suffered. In, in Psalm 32, verse 3, in fact, let me just read that um, for us. Psalm 32, verse 3, he, he actually afterwards, after he came out with it, he, he admits, you know, he's suffering because uh, he gave in to the temptation. It says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. In other words, I, I gave into it, I thought giving into the temptation will fulfill that need, will, will quench that thirst. But it didn't. In fact, it made me feel terrible. I felt worse. Uh, but not only that, not only did God know, not only did he suffer, but his children suffered. And this is a bit of a scarier one for me as a parent. And I think if you guys are parents, you know, or about to become parents, then, then it'll, this will be scary to you too. 
almost all of David's children, I mean, amongst one another, I, I mean, there was sexual sin and there was violence. I mean, some of his children raped one another, some of them killed one another. And those were the two things that he did in response to giving in to temptation. He had an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. He had a husband killed. And all of that came upon his children. And and here's the the scary part. The temptations you give in to, your children will have to face one day. The battles, when you don't fight temptation, your children will have to fight those temptations one day. Every fight that you do fight, every temptation that you do overcome, is something that, you won't, that your children won't have to face one day. Then there's a, there's a modern example, and, and a very sad one for me. Um, many of you probably know Ravi Zacharias, and you know what happened in, in the, in, what has come out uh, in the last couple of years. And I like Ravi Zacharias a lot. I think he's, he was an amazing man. Um, and, and, and I think he, he actually he just did so much in terms of apologetics to, to, to defend the gospel. But he unfortunately neglected some things in his character. And it caused great, great damage. And, and it's been coming out that up as early as 2008, these things were already happening. And people in, in his organization were already picking them up and reporting them. But, you know... Not much, not enough was being done to deal with it and to help him. Um, and apparently one day, because what happened was he, he was sort of a silent partner in some of these, um, what do you call it, beauty spas where, where you got massages and stuff. Um, and one day he just said, I just need a place where I can just um, let my hair down because I'm this world-famous preacher and man of God, you know, I just need a place where I can let my hair down and, and just give in to temptation. And he thought that if he can sort of put up a brave face everywhere else and then just in this one place give in to temptation, it'll be okay. But the problem was, the pro- it just escalated. The more he gave in to temptation, the more the temptation became and the more he had to give in. And it just, the problem just became worse and worse. It didn't actually satisfy him. Giving into the temptation didn't satisfy him. It, it made it the thirst more. It didn't quench the thirst. It made the thirst more. Um, and and, and, and here's, here's one of the main reasons why giving into temptation doesn't work. You cannot deal with temptation by giving into it. And that is because sin is addiction. Sin is addiction. All sin is addiction. And, 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 and we know how it works with, with, I mean, most of us probably know someone, either, you know, have, have struggled with drugs ourselves and addiction ourselves, or we know someone who has. And, and, and this is how addiction works. You start off and you use the drug, and it gives you this high, and you become addicted to it. But after using it for a while, this, that drug or that amount of drugs no longer gives you the same high. So now you need more drugs to get the same high. In other words, you get used to it. You get desensitized to it. And, and, and you have to use more and more and more to get the same result, the same high. It's the same with sin. Sin is like a drug. You give into it and it gives you a bit of a high. But if you keep giving into it, 
You become used to it. It no longer gives that high. Now you need more. You need more of that drug to satisfy your need. Your, your body becomes used to it. All sin is like addiction. All sin is like a, a drug. And um, Jonathan Edwards, the famous preacher in, in the 1700s, you know, whom God used during the, the Great Awakening in America, he said it best to me. He said, no fire ever said enough. No fire ever said enough. Temptation is like a fire. If you throw wood onto it and feed the fire, you think, okay, you know, it's calling for, for more wood. You throw wood on it, it just consumes the wood and it never says enough. In fact, it always says more, more, more. The more you give it, the bigger it becomes, the more it, it requires, fuel it, it requires. So that is why giving in to temptation doesn't work. Okay, But the problem is that resisting temptation also doesn't work. Okay, Now with that, I don't mean give in to temptation, because I've just said giving in to temptation doesn't work. So obviously, I'm not saying you know resisting temptation. Obviously, there's a third alternative. But every temptation, the problem, and, and, and it's, it's mentioned here in our, in our text in James uh, chapter 4, uh, I already said that it, it mentions the three sort of areas in which we are tempted the flesh our desires our hedonistic desires uh, the world friendship with the world and the devil submitting to the devil uh, and each of those areas of temptation preys and feeds on our needs there's a, there's a need even a legitimate need underlying each of these those temptations what are those needs firstly um, when it comes to the flesh to to the self we need provision and we need satisfaction. We are needy beings. And, 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 and it's no use denying that. We are needy and we need those needs to be fulfilled. We, need those, we, need, we have certain desires that, that have to be satisfied. You, you get hungry, you have an appetite, and you, you want, you need that that hunger to be fulfilled. You, you become thirsty and, and you need that thirst to be quenched. And, and resisting the temptation and just saying, oh, you know, I'm thirsty, but, but, but I must resist, you know, that temptation, you know, to have a thirst quench. That's not going to happen. It's, it, not, it, it, it might last for a while, but, you, but you'll never be able to, your, your needs will not go unmet. So, so, so that need that you have for satisfaction and for provision will be met. Either you'll meet it by fighting and, 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 and like it says, they're arguing and, 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 and coveting and, and murdering in your heart and going after it yourself. In other words, saying, I'll take care of myself. I'll meet my own needs. I'll satisfy myself. Or you'll pray about it. And like I said before, and I'm not going to go into so much detail because I mentioned it last time. We're not only supposed to pray for God to fulfill our needs and desires. We're supposed to pray for God to form our needs and desires. Because the problem is, there's a legitimate need underlying there. A need for provision and satisfaction. And that need either gets distorted and perverted into something sinful, or we get tempted to meet that legitimate need in an illegitimate way. In the wrong way. Um, 
just as an example, um, you know, a, a, a sort of a stereotypical example is God did create us as human beings as sexual beings, you know. So, so that need in terms of sexuality is a natural need. It's, it's, not, it's not per se sinful. Sin is not ugly or nasty or any such thing. It's, it's, it, it's, it's, it's good and beautiful, but it can be severely perverted, you know, into lust um, that is, say, violent, you know, and, 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 and wants to hurt people, or lust for little children, you know, uh, pedophilic lust. And that's a perversion of a, of a sexual need, which is a natural need, but which has then been perverted, uh, you know, and, and, and is expressed through pedophilia or rape or something ugly like that, okay? Or you can try and meet that need, but in an illegitimate way outside of marriage. The legitimate way to meet that need is, is within marriage, okay? So either of those are the temptations, you know, uh, that we face. Then in terms of, of, he talks about friendship with the world. If you're a friend of the world, you're, you, you make yourself an enemy of God. Um, that talks about our need for intimacy and belonging. And that's a legitimate need. We need intimacy. We, we, we need belonging. We need a place where we feel like this is where I belong. These are my people. I'm accepted here. I'm celebrated here. We need that. And, and the, the, you know, the temptation is to go and find it once again in the wrong place, in the world. The reality is that all of us at some stage want to be accepted. We want to look good in the world. We want to be cool or we want to be accepted we want to the the world we want to fit in in the world because we're in the world so we want to fit in in the world and we want the world to accept us um but once again it's it's trying to meet a legitimate need but in an illegitimate way in the wrong place in terms of he says resist the devil submit to god resist the devil we all have a need for leadership and guidance we, we, we're finite, limited human beings. We all want someone at some stage to tell us this is the way, this is what to do. I'll, I'll look after you, I'll take care of you, I'll lead you. And the devil is quite happy to jump in and say, choose me, <laughs> I'll tell you what to do, I'll lead you, I'll guide you, just submit to me, do what I say. So the problem is our needs will not remain unmet. Steph, do you want to just quickly come forward? It's, it's impossible to, to leave our needs unfulfilled. They will be fulfilled. And, and, and here's the thing. The only choice we have is not whether we will fulfill our needs or not, but who will fulfill our needs? Where will we fulfill our needs? Okay? And we can either choose to have our needs fulfilled by God or by the flesh, the world, and the devil. And um, Stefan just reminded me um, a while back of, of a dream that God gave him when he came, um, when he came to, to Joburg, I think. And, and, and it just so nicely fits in with this, you know, you, you adulteresses. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Maybe share that with us. Yeah, well, morning, church. Um, it was actually a, a vision that I had when shortly after I, I moved to Joburg. And um, I, I kind of took notice because God, God, God doesn't primarily speak to me through visions. It's not something that I often experience. 
um, but I was having quiet time in my room. Um, it was an interesting time. I moved up to Joburg, didn't know anyone, um, so there was lots of quiet time in my room, <laughs> um, which was a blessing, actually, and I remember just sitting in my room and reading my Bible, and I kind of had this open vision, and I saw... Um, I saw kind of two scenes playing out. The first one was, uh, well, they both took place in a, in a church building. And um, there were these massive doors at the back of the church building that opened up. And this, this bride stood in the door. And she was beautiful. She was like her, her dress fit her perfectly. It was clean. You know, her, her makeup and her hair was done very uh, very tastefully, very classic. She looked beautiful. You can see she had, she had put in effort to prepare herself and um, but even more than that, as she walked down the aisle, um, she she just had eyes for the groom. She had this incredible adoration, this awe of who the groom is, and 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 you can see you could see that she she had sacrificed in order to be able to to give all of herself to this groom. Um, she had kept herself pure. She had kept herself, her honor and her integrity and her purity intact because she knew who she was marrying and that he was worthy of everything that she could bring to him. And, um, and it's just this love and this adoration, this, these soft eyes. She got to the front and the groom was so pleased with her and they got married and it was a glorious, glorious wedding. And, um, and then I saw the same picture, and, and there was another bride standing in the, in the doorway, and she was, um, you know, she, it seemed like she had sort of at the last minute thrown something on. Um, it was sitting skew, and it was torn, and her makeup was smudged, and her hair was like rough. And, um, and she was kind of casual and familiar and walking down the aisle, and, and she, was actually, she was actually winking at some other men on either side of the aisle. And it was clear that there was, there was, she had led a promiscuous life. And that there was some history with some of these guys that were sitting on either side of the aisle. And as she reached the front, she only sort of, more towards the front, became more aware of the groom. And, and this, the shame set, set on her, you know. And she realized what she had done. And, and the groom was, the groom was, was, was heartbroken and offended and, and angry. And he actually called off the wedding, and he said, I, I will not marry you. Um, and that was kind of how the second picture finished. And, and for me, you know, for me personally, I just, you know, I think I just kind of fell on my face and like, Lord, <laughs> have mercy. <you> know? <laughs> help me to be that first bride, you know, help me to, help me to be that first bride um, in, the sec- in the first place. And in the second place, I also realized that this, the church... The church today is, is, isn't either of the two. We're probably somewhere in between, you know. And I don't, don't mean chauffeur specifically. I mean the church globally. And I, up until that point, I think when I noticed something in church that I didn't like, I was very critical and judgmental and kind of condemned the church for it. And, and God just also ignited in me a heart to be, to, be, to be part of, to first let it happen in me, but then to also serve the bride and to help her to prepare for the groom you know that she can present herself in a in a worthy manner yeah thanks steve and 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 that is the choice you know what kind of bride are we going to be one that's a friend of the world now it would have been okay for the bride to 
to have some of those men, you know, in the, in the service that um, Steph was referring to as acquaintances. But obviously what she had done and the kind of history she did have with them was not okay. The kind of intimacy she had with them was not okay. Because that intimacy was reserved for her groom and him only, or should, be, should have been reserved. Now, here's the thing. We, we, we respond, we, we, we veer off the truth and, 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 and the gospel in two ways. We, either, either through relativism and um, you know, irreligion, we say, oh, anything goes, I'll just meet my needs anywhere. These, these needs, this thirst that we're talking about, I'll just quench it anywhere. Okay? Um, or we veer off on the side of religion that says resist. So, so relativism um, and irreligion says Ach, just give in to temptation. Religion says resist temptation. The gospel says there's a different way. And when we read this text through the, through the lens of the gospel, we see, because we, so often we read it and we, we read, okay, about the desires and I must, you know, crush the desires and crucify the desires and about friendship with the world and, oh, I must resist the world and I mustn't be a friend with the world and, uh, you know, about the, the devil and, oh, I must resist the devil. And all of that is there, but that's not the focus. The focus is what Andrew was saying, there's an invitation. And, we, and so often, we, because we read Scripture through religious eyes, we, we miss the invitation. We see the command, and, and we see it all as, as rules that we must obey only, and we miss the invitation. What is the invitation? The invitation is God says, I know you're needy. I know your desires. I know your needs. Pray to me. Ask me. I actually want to meet your needs. I actually want to satisfy your deepest desires. And in fact, I'm the only one who can. The passing pleasures of sin will not satisfy you. I can permanently meet your deepest desires and no one else can. Just ask me. And, and in terms of, of, of friendship, he's, he's, he's not saying just don't be a friend of the world. He says, be my friend. He's not just saying give, don't give yourself in intimacy to the world. Don't belong in the world. He's saying come belong with me. Come and experience intimacy. It's an invitation to intimacy and friendship with God. And that's amazing that God actually wants intimacy and friendship with us. You know, in, in terms of the, when I was um, looking at the, at, the, at, the, at the Greek of the text, it says, um, the, the English says, submit, therefore, let me just read it in verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Um, and once again, it, it doesn't just say, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He first says submit to God. In other words, you cannot, you cannot resist the devil by acting like him. By not submitting to God. You first have to submit to God and then when you resist the devil, he will flee from you. But, but here's the thing. When I looked at the Greek, I, I noticed something very strange. The word submit there is a passive verb. I mean, I can understand why they don't. So, so what it really says is be submitted or be made submissive to God. And then the active verb, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And I was like, what on earth is going on here? This doesn't make sense grammatically. Why is it a passive verb? And Because I, I know there are, there are verbs in, in, in Greek where, where the, the, the active form has fallen away and they use the passive form with an active meaning. It's called a deponent verb. So I went to check and I thought, no, but in the New Testament, that word for submit is used actively in the New Testament as well. So it's not a, de, a deponent verb. It, it, is he's saying, he's not saying submit yourselves. To, well, that's at least what it looks to me. And I, I acknowledge that the guys who translate the, the, the 
Bible translations are more smart than I am, but I've got to go with what I'm seeing here. What it literally seems to say, in the Greek at least, is be made submissive to God, and then resist the devil and he'll flee from you. In other words, it's not only something that God says, you must do this, you know, you must submit to me. He's saying, I will make you submissive to me. You will be made, and, and by implication is by God. By whom? By God. God in his grace will cause us. And that's why he says he gives more grace. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And like I said last time, you know, that, that scripture to me is, is so amazing because it, it means that grace is not only something we receive through humility, but grace is something that makes us humble. If the grace that we receive in response to our humility is more grace, you can only receive more grace if you've already received grace. What is the grace that precedes the more grace? It's the grace that makes us humble. The grace that makes us submit to God. And out of that place of submitting to God, we can then resist the devil and he'll flee from you. So, you know, that, that is the invitation. The invitation is, is, is come to me. And, and, and this is, like I said, giving in to temptation doesn't work. Resisting temptation doesn't work. What does work? Meeting those underlying deep needs in God. Having God meet those needs. And that's why it says in verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Only God can permanently meet our needs. Um, St. Augustine, the famous um, you know, 3rd, 4th century um, saint said, you have created us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. You have created us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless, unfulfilled, until they rest in you. In other words, God created us in such a way that only God can fulfill us. You know, there's that old stereotype of we have a God-shaped hole inside of us. And it's true. That hole is too big for anything or anyone else to fill. That thirst on the inside is too deep for anything or anyone else to quench. Only God can quench that thirst. Only God can fulfill that need. Only God can meet those needs. And God wants to. He wants to um, quench our thirst. He wants to meet our, our, our needs. And here's the thing. In verse 5 it says, the Spirit He has caused to dwell in us yearns jealously. <coughs> and then in verse 8 he says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Here's the thing about God, and this is the amazing thing, that, that our need is infinite. Our need is cosmic. Our need is more than any finite thing in this world can meet. Now God, when he gives himself, he, gives, he puts his spirit inside of us. He gives all to live inside of us. But the amazing thing about God is He's the one thing in all of existence of whom there is always more. Even though God loves you, the Spirit, he, he has given Himself fully to you and He lives fully inside of you. If you draw near to Him, He will draw near to you and He'll always give you more of Himself because there's always more of God. Run out of God. It's not like, like, like God is a limited resource. God is the only unlimited resource. 
that can meet our unlimited need. And He created us that way. And that's why as long give in to temptation by meeting those temptations with the limited resources, the, the worldly carnal resources, or temptation, not having that thirst quenched, not having that need met, we will always fail. But as, as soon as we start coming to God and saying, God, first form my desires and then fulfill my desires with yourself, then our needs are met. And that's how we overcome temptation. Um, and God wants, God, what, what this text is saying is God wants to do that. I mean, He wants to do that not only because He loves us. And He wants our greatest good. But He wants to do that because He wants His own greatest glory. God is committed to His glory. Now what glorifies God more than the evidence that only He is enough. What glorifies God more than to put on display in our needy lives that only He is enough to fulfill our deepest needs? That glorifies God. I like the way John Piper says it. He says, you know, basically he says that our greatest good and God's greatest glory are not mutually exclusive. And sometimes, you know, in religious Christianity, we think they are. You know, in order to glorify God the most, I must deny myself. No. You know, so often we think, oh, I must serve God out of duty. You know, if I love my wife just out of duty... You know, is it going to say, I don't, I don't really desire you, but it's my duty, you know, to, <laughs> to kiss you or to hug you. Is that going to make her feel all, you know, happy and, oh, you're so romantic, you know, <laughs> doing your duty. <laughs> Absolutely not. God wants not just duty, he wants our desire. Yes, there's a place for doing your duty. I'm not, I'm not dismissing that, but I'm saying just doing that is not enough. God wants our duty, us to do our duty, but he also wants our desire. Um, and John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Do you realize that not only do you need to be satisfied in God, but God wants you to be satisfied in him? He wants to meet your greatest need. He wants you to bring those deep, overwhelming needs inside of your heart, those, those infinite needs inside of you, and he wants you to bring them to him and say, God, you fulfill those needs. I want to find fulfillment in you and in what you give. And as we find fulfillment in God, I mean, when, when we worship God and, 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 and just the infinite love of an infinite God and the fact that he says, I love you. You are my beloved son and daughter in whom I'm well pleased. I mean, when, when we hear that and it satisfies us and it fulfills us so that we don't want to go and hear it from the world and, you know, in all kinds of promiscuous relationships, you know, physically or psychologically or spiritually speaking, that, that, that fulfills us, but it glorifies God. And, and when God, say, you know, gives you something 
like, like a wife to fulfill those needs that you have. When you, when you enjoy that marriage, when you enjoy that relationship, that actually glorifies God because it's something that God is giving you and something God is using to fulfill your needs. So, if God wants to and we need it, why, why does it so often not happen? And I'm just going to quickly... Um, give a, a very quick list of why I think sometimes it doesn't happen. Firstly, what, what jo- James mentions is we don't ask. <laughs> Simply, it's, it's, sometimes it's just as simple as that. We try and meet our own needs. We don't ask God to fulfill our needs or to form our needs. Um, secondly, sometimes we choose the world. He says that whoever chooses to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Our choice plays a role. We must make an act of choice to say no, I don't choose the world. I choose intimacy with God. I choose to belong with God. Um, often we don't feel his desire. Our desires are, are wrong and because we don't feel his desire. It's the spirit he has caused to dwell in us yearns jealously. God's desire for us is even stronger than our desire for God or for anything else. And if we come to God in worship and we spend time with Him, as we draw near to Him and He draws near to us, and we experience Him and experience His desire for us, that will ignite a desire for Him in our hearts. But sometimes we don't allow ourselves to experience that. Okay? Um, sometimes, like I said, we try to resist the devil by acting like Him. We, we just try and resist the devil. We don't first try and submit to God. <laughs> or, as I said, the, the Greek says, be made submitted to God or be, be made to submit to God. We don't just come to God and experience His grace that, that's, that overwhelms us, that, that, that wins us, that conquers us. Here's the thing. <laughs> if you draw near to God and He draws near to you and you experience God, you'd want to submit to Him. If you don't want to submit to God, it's just because you're not spending enough time with Him. Because the more time you spend with him, the more you'll fall in love with him and the more you'll say, wow, God, you're amazing. I want to submit to you. Sometimes we're just double-minded. It says there, you know, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you're double-minded. Then it says, let your laughter be turned to mourning. You see, the, the church James was writing to, they were laughing. All these wrong things were happening. All this conflict was happening. All this sin was happening. All this friendship with the world was happening. All this submitting to the devil was happening. And they were laughing about it. In other words, they weren't taking it seriously. And so often we do that. We don't take it seriously. We're like, oh, you know, everyone's tempted. Oh, you know, everyone falls for temptation. You know, I'm, I'm just human. We need... To take this seriously, we need to weep and mourn and turn our, our laughter into, into mourning. We, we need to really take this seriously. Sometimes by avoiding mourning, we actually avoid joy. Because on the other side of mourning, there's real joy. He says, purify your hearts, you're double-minded. What's the opposite of being double-minded? Being single-minded. Saying, God, I, I want you and you only. I want you ultimately. And, and in you, I know all my other desires and needs will be fulfilled um, as well and another thing another mistake is we try and do this alone notice that that almost all the verbs and references there in plural when it says you we often read as english people we read you singular but 
in, in, in Greek, the word for, for, for you, plural, and you singular is different. And it's throughout the text, it's you plural here. So he's talking to a community. You cannot overcome temptation by yourself. Let me just put that as straight as I can. If, if you try and overcome temptation by your lonesome, lonesome, like a, 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 a lone ranger or by yourself, you will fail. We need each other in order to overcome temptation. You can only overcome temptation in community. In a community who is committed to together overcome temptation and find ultimate satisfaction in God. That's why we worship together. That's why we meet together. But we need to trust, learn to trust one another enough so that we can actually admit our temptations to one another and help one another deal with it and encourage one another in it. Um, and then, like I said, the, the, the ultimate thing here is that we need to, and the, the band, you guys can maybe go up so long and just play in the, in, in, softly in the background. The, the ultimate solution that God gives us here is in, in verse 8, James 4 verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And, and, and here's, here's just, I, I just want to mention this very quickly in closing because this is where the gospel comes in. All of us fall for temptation all of the time, which means that if God treated us as we ought to be treated, when we draw near to him, he should not draw near to us. That's how God ought to treat us. And, and, and I, I mean, sin, God cannot look upon sin. Sin abhors, he abhors sin. Sin disgusts him. He hates sin. So, so we who give in to temptation and constantly sin, he should, he should not want to draw near to us. He, he should want to stay as far away from us as possible. And the reason why, even though we give in to temptation and sin regularly, God says, draw near to me and I will not reject you. I will not turn my face away from you. I will not forsake you. Is because the, the one... Jesus, who never gave in to temptation, when he drew near to the Father and said, My God, you had to say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? God treated him the way we deserve to be treated, so that God could treat us, the ones who fall for temptation the whole time, the way he deserved to be treated. And that is the gospel promise that God gives to us. And he says, I know your temptation that you fall for should keep you away from me, but don't let it. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. And as you experience me and experience me satisfying you, fulfilling your needs, meeting your deepest needs, your desire, your thirst, your deepest thirst will be quenched. Your thirst for other things will be quenched, and you'll no longer want to satisfy illegitimate needs in illegitimate ways. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.